Hey everyone, we've got a new pitch website, pitchpodcast.fm. Comment on your favorite episodes, get all the latest news and discuss the podcast with us, pitchpodcast.fm. If you become a subscriber, you'll be able to access real pitches and ad-free episodes. Watch member-only live streams starring us, your hosts, and ask questions we'll answer in future pitch episodes. Join us at pitchpodcast.fm and help us bring you more great content. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Pitch. I'm Leah St. Marie. And I'm Angel. And today we have a special guest with us, uh, Bill Thompson, who is the executive director of Young Storytellers, an arts education nonprofit based here in LA. Welcome, Bill. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for coming. Of course, happy to be here. So I've volunteered with Young Storytellers for many years. Um, I did the, the biggest show, which... I think is when we physically met in 2018 at the Ace Hotel. I was asking you about parking passes. <laughs> you were kind <laughs> enough to direct me to where to get my, my parking validated. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about Young Storytellers because it's something I'm passionate about and it's a nonprofit that part of our premium podcast proceeds go towards. Yeah, I mean, I think the... The heart of Young Storytellers, as you know, is about creating a space for young people uh, to be the driving force of their own narratives, Um, really giving them an opportunity to see the impact that their thoughts, feelings, and words can have on the world around them. Um, We work in public schools who have been historically marginalized and oppressed Um, here in Los Angeles, uh, volunteer mentors go into the schools and they work directly with uh, young people who then write their own original stories that are performed by professional actors at a sort of community school celebration. Um, And we work with elementary school students, middle school students, and high school students uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, And we've just been very fortunate, especially as we, uh, you know, emerge um, from COVID to have a dedicated, you know, base of volunteers who come in and work with the students um, and help them uh, craft their stories, and then uh, the actors perform them. So, yeah, it was it was interesting during COVID to continue the work, and the kids would show up on Zooms. Yeah, well, and and it was it was interesting for us because we developed a whole new program model during COVID. So, you know, oh. historically, our elementary school program is one to one. You know, so each fifth grade student is working with their own mentor to write their story. But we had complications with Zoom where we weren't able to have breakout rooms Mm -hmm. with one adult and one student. So we ended up building this collaborative stories model, which is a little bit more like a writer's room. So there are a couple of students and a couple of volunteers that are writing a collaborative story. Mm -hmm. And we're able to sort of keep the artistic primacy for the students by giving them a character that they're the voice of. So even though it's a collaborative process, they each have ownership over a character's voice throughout the uh, story. And I think it, you know, it was designed because we were trying to come up with a fix, like a logistical fix Mm, for COVID. But the, the unintended consequence is that the kids were so isolated during COVID and they had such little opportunity to connect with each other yeah. because they were you know, by themselves and they were looking at 30 boxes on a screen when they were getting whatever instruction they were getting. Mm-hmm. And the teachers and the parents were saying how important it was for them to be in a breakout room just with a couple of kids to be able to do something that was fun and creative and inspiring um, and so we've kept that program model. We're still doing the collaborative program model because even coming out of COVID, you know, years of isolation for these kids, there's that need for not just the like adult to young person connection, mm-hmm. but the yeah, connection but the young from person young person, person yeah. to young person that isn't digital. Yeah. That's not through a screen. That's not through social media, but that's actually being present yeah. with one another, um, which, you know, is more important now than ever. Yeah. What a, what a great unintended side effect of a of a, a technical problem that yeah. had like an organic you know benefit. That's right. That's really great. 
Did it allow the program to grow? Because I know you're based in LA, but you have like pockets of of this program across the United States, right? We do. So we have um, we have a program in little we have a program in New York City, a program in Little Rock, Arkansas, and a program in Denver, Colorado, right now. And we've we've historically had programs in San Francisco and mm-hmm. um, Austin, Texas. Although those have not come back after COVID, um, I think. You know, we're we're now one of the things that we learned um, during COVID and as we really as we emerge from COVID is that, you know, the world has changed in um, very profound ways. Yeah. And the way in which we work, the way in which we value time, the way in which we we spend time outside of our homes is different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we the our volunteer community went from 12 to 1300 people before COVID to the first year back in person after COVID, three, 400 people. And we're up now to a little north of 500 people, I think, this school year. But it's still... So less than half of what it what you had before what it COVID, used to yeah. be. Oh, man. And I think that volunteers were always for our organization. You know, it was a grassroots. It started as a grassroots organization. It was volunteer-led for six years before it was even a nonprofit. And... Volunteers have always been the driver of growth and impact for the organization. And we just finished a strategic plan last year. And I think we just realized that, you know, the world will never go back to the way that it was in 2019. And things will incrementally improve and get easier. Mm -hmm. Um, But there have been just shifts, tectonic shifts that I think will, you know, uh, continue to to reverberate and um especially with workplace volunteering which yeah. is a huge part of our volunteer base so our new strategy is actually to take our programs and to create toolkits for those programs and we're going to partner with community-based organizations or ptas at local schools to be able to teach other people how to do what we've done as like a direct service organization for 25 years Mm -hmm. so that we can scale regionally and nationally, keeping that same sort of grassroots ethos that started the program initially. We just now have 25 years of, you know, experience and data to be able to provide, you know, a curriculum that we know is, you know, incredibly impactful with the outcomes that we want. Because it's something where all it takes is somebody who is passionate enough about young storytellers that has a little bit of time like you could start one up i could start one up in ohio i could be like hey mom let's do this at the grade school that's right that's, absolutely that's all that it takes and then you gather other people who are like-minded and what's so interesting if i can go a little bit on why i'm so passionate about this i was applying to phd programs and part of my work for this was how poetry grows empathy in the brain mm. so empathy is so important to the human race that if you suffer any frontal lobe trauma where empathy is located right the brain will shift where the empathy is located just so you have it still wow. and they were doing these um studies with fmris in england and they were exposing patients to music and they were exposing patients to shakespeare and what's interesting when mm. you when you hear or are engaged in poetry, your brain has to do a functional shift to understand what the words are. And that functional shift is in the same spot of the brain where um, empathy is. And so the work that you're doing actually grows empathy in these young minds. And what's so cool about that is empathy helps with recidivism rates. Mm. So you have like some arts programs are directly correlated to lower crime. Sure. And it's, I would even argue that, you know, the empathy building is as present for the volunteers, for the adults, as it is for the, for the young people. I mean, that was my, that was my personal sort of experience in the program. I started as a volunteer. Yeah. How how did you, and when did you get started? Um, 17 years ago. Okay. I'm here. It's, you know, I feel in many ways that it's like an, I'm an accidental executive director, right? <laughs> this wasn't the path that I um, had chosen for myself. And, you know, I'm, I moved out here to get into film and television. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was at my first job and my boss came in and said, I need to um, send you down to an elementary school um, at lunch today um, to work on a program. I was like, what? 
And he's like, well, I started a, a nonprofit when I was in grad school and the, the woman who runs it, they need volunteers. I told her I'd send somebody. You're the newest person in the office. It's your turn. And I was like, what am I doing? And he's like, enough, like no questions, just go, you'll figure <laughs> it out. And, um, and for me personally, like I'm not a kid person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have children now, so I'm, I, you know, but I, I I've become an, a little bit of a kid. I've person. become more of a kid person, <laughs> but I'm an only child. Oh, okay. Right. Like I, I'm, I'm not someone who I, I, I don't think I'd been in a room with a 10 year old since I was 10. Right. Wow. Um, and I go to this elementary school and I was paired with a girl who on the surface was the exact opposite of me. She was, um, incredibly shy, Latina, struggling to learn English. Um, and I think the only thing in the moment we met each other that we had in common is that we were both just terrified of one another, (laughs) but we sort of like, we just took that leap of faith and, you know, I kept showing up and she started to open up and wrote a story about, um, a girl whose family is about to be evicted from their home. Mm. But she has an imaginary friend who is a magical flying unicorn. And he lets her sell rides on him at the school to all of her friends. And it raises enough money so that her family can stay in their home. And we're at the big show, which is where the actors show up and they audition for the kids and the kids cast the actors in the parts. And this girl, I could barely get a yes or no Mm -hmm. answer out of the first three, four weeks of the program. All of a sudden, I see her like strutting down this red carpet. She's got this VIP badge on. (laughs) She's on stage, like casting the actors, knows exactly who she wants in the parts. Her mom is sitting in the audience, like in tears. And I just had this epiphany of like, oh, this is the story that is being told here in LA that matters. Right? Like I was working on a, a TV show at the time mm-hmm. that like, you know, was prestigious and would go on to do all of these, you know, all these people would watch it. But this girl's story just felt so much more important. And to go to the empathy thing, yeah. you know, I, I felt seen in her story because this girl, you know, when I, so when I was growing up, I had uh, a fair amount of economic insecurity in my life. My dad lost his job a ton when I was little. So we were always moving back to my grandparents' farm. And I would, you know, at six, seven, eight years old, like would fall asleep, like hearing my parents argue about money or like I would feel guilty because like my feet would grow and I need a new pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. This girl knows none of that about me. But she writes this story that's authentic to her, that's from her lived experience. And I'm all over that. And this connection, the connective tissue of her story, the empathy that's built there, the fact that I could be seen in her story was so profound and so moving to me. Um, That's one of those things too. Like when Taha, my first mm -hmm. mentee, got into the big show, at the same time in my life, I had sold the thing to Shudder. And I was very excited about that. But when I heard the news that his play, because they choose um, five students from the... Hundreds. From hundreds. Year, yeah. When I heard the news that his his story got picked to be, is it the big show, the biggest the show? The biggest show. The biggest yeah. show. I was like up here instead of like my shutter thing. I was like, no, Taha's thing was yeah. like way more important. Yeah. And you did so much legwork because I remember we had a really hard time. Oh, yeah. I think he had moved schools. And of course, this happens all the time oh, with the I school district. But, you know, the the school that he was at, like, didn't have the correct contact information. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was to the point where, like, I was sweating it. Like, his story was brilliant. I was at Palm. Was it Palms? It was Palms. Elementary school. That's right. Brian Lynch was the head yep. mentor. I was there at the performance at the school. And I saw the story. And I was like, this is one of the funniest things hilarious. I've ever seen. It was like the descendants of Jimmy Fallon uh-huh. and Jimmy Kimmel or no, no James Cor- Corden James yeah it was Jimmy Fallon and James the Corden fashion off and they had a fashion off in Dubai yes <laughs> and it was just <laughs> so imaginative and so creative and so informed by like pop culture and it was so funny and good memory it was just fabulous and 
I was really stressed that we weren't going to be able to have him and his family Me at too. the event. And you, I don't even remember how you did it, but I, you like pulled a rabbit out of a hat and all of a sudden it was like we were connected with his family and he yeah. could be there. Background in investigative journalism. That's right. That's yeah. what it was. It, it was, fin- a, it was finally amazing. Finally paid off. Finally my master's degree paid off. <laughs> but in a, in a huge way, it sounds like. In a huge way. Yeah. It was important for me to get, for him to get the recognition that he deserved for, for yeah. his stuff. Well, he's just, he was one of those special kids. There's a, I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw the um, the sizzle reel from the event, but the end of it is just a shot of him standing outside of the Ace Hotel looking up at the marquee. Yes. And everything on his face, and this kid isn't an actor, no. but like he's just there and present in this yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just all of the impact of what we do was like on this young man's face. It was such a gorgeous moment to to capture and um and like not a staged moment and not on stage and there was no audience mm-hmm. um but you just get this glimpse of of uh the future he could see for himself yeah um and the belief that he had in himself after having this experience that he had tapped into the thing that makes him so special that everyone a thousand people were responding to which is like his voice mm-hmm. and that's a really powerful thing would you say there's anything as powerful as that outside of the realm of working with children storytellers? Because once you get into adult Hollywood writing, storytelling, whatever t- television or, or movies, it's it's a different business and it's a different sort of like magic. And you know, you were talking about Leah, your joy at selling a script to Shutter and then seeing how much it meant to this child to have their play picked and the discrepancy there. Like, do you ever see that much magic <laughs> with adults? Or is there something about seeing children? That's a great question. Well, we were, just makes it much more magical. We were all children. Yeah. Right. So we were all 10 and 11 mm-hmm. and untouched by um, self-critique mm. and self-censorship and negative self-talk. And um, there's... So I think that that magic happens. And when I see art, be it film or theater or like the, it's when the voice is so strong and the voice is so pure, the story has to be told by that person in this moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that authenticity comes from, I think they are tapped into that same space that our young writers are tapping into, which Mm -hmm. is the core of who we are. This child, I think so much of like, and I've got a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old now, and, um, and I can see the difference already in my 12-year-old. His view of the world is through a harder lens. It's my 8-year-old my still sees the world through soft eyes. Mm-hmm. And that space, I think, is the space of creativity. Um, but I don't think it's a space that adults can't access. I think mm-hmm. it is the space that we must strive for. Yeah. to access and from which great art can be created. I yeah. think we can go like to go even deeper and maybe empathy is part of this, but to the room, why is storytelling important? I, I mean, there's even, well, I think just on a fundamental level, it was essential as a species mm-hmm. for our survival, right? I mean, it started around the campfire. It started around the, you know, there's a, our friend who used to sit around the campfire walked in that bush and there was a tiger in the bush and now he's no longer here. So let's tell that story so we don't go to the bush. So I think so much of the storytelling was about um, survival. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. that is like embedded so deeply in our DNA of like who we are as a species. Yeah. Um, But then I think as we have continued to advance and evolve as a species, um, it really is about, I go back to that experience that I had of like the ability to see myself in someone else's story or to imagine myself in their shoes, in their story. What would that be yeah. like? How would I feel in those given circumstances? What in my life is similar? What's, mm-hmm. What story or experience that I have that is similar? Because I think we all strive and this is also in our DNA for connection yeah, and to belong. I think all the core values of young storytellers are human values at their core. Yeah. Um, so I that's th- it for me. I think it might be the, 
the language of of connection, mm-hmm. right? We have more data than we've ever had in the history of humanity. Mm-hmm. We're you know, collecting data on all the platforms and all the digital devices, right? But ever since you know you took math or whatever the the technical class was in grade school, and it was like most of us, a lot of us didn't like like it or it didn't resonate with us. Stories resonate with with more people than they don't. There's something innate about like learning through storytelling or communicating through storytelling that it's like that is the language of like rapid understanding, rapid connection, rapid insight versus like the analyzation of data points, right? Totally. You don't remember a number. You remember the story that like illustrates the number. You yeah. can't remember, well, 94% of this, mm-hmm. but you tell a story yeah. and the story is sticky. Yeah. But I think it's because our brains, that's how we've learned through time. Um, and then so you have the people who are extraordinary with numbers and they stand out as a result of that because I don't know what the statistics are, but I think the majority of people don't operate with numbers sticking or being able to process large numbers or large amounts of data. Like, and those people are impressive and they're cool. And it's like, whoa, they can do math in their head. They, they can do all these like things that the rest of us have to struggle to do with data points, right? Where the rest of us, we get by and we commune and connect through storytelling and we survive and we learn and, you know, we, we grow and we evolve. So I think it's probably, like you said, in our DNA, it's an innate, it's, it's like the universal operating language almost. It's yeah. so cool that we're using the word survival. I remember reading Guns, Germs, and Steel, and he's talking about um, in Papua New Guinea how two tribesmen would come across each other's paths, paths and they would have to talk about their relations until they found a relation that was a connection. Mm. Otherwise, they would kill each other. Mm. Oh. So we're going from a, from a place of pure survival for storytelling into I think nowadays emotional survival Mm. like I went to Ireland Mm, with my brother and it was during the James Joyce week that they do over there and in um in tandem with that there was kind of like a storytelling tour where you could go around to different people's houses go into their house have dinner with them as long as you told a story like Hmm. that was the trade that you were offering so I think that there's this um there's this evolution of this is the reason that we used to tell stories so that we wouldn't die. And now we're telling stories so that, I don't know, I, I know it sounds cheesy, but so that our hearts are full in mm, some way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, our existential questions have yeah. not changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So everything we have surrounded ourselves I think of waiting for Godot all the time because we've surrounded yeah. ourselves by with more and more tools and distractions and technology and everything else. But the thing that makes us human, the inevitable end that we all must face and um, come to terms with and, you know, those questions and our purpose here mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. those big existential questions, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know that math can answer those big existential questions. I would say mathematicians might argue that they, <laughs> that they're working toward we'll it. We'll have a mathematician on next. <laughs> to, yeah, to, as the counterpoint. counterpoint. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I do think that um, the stories are the way to help answer yeah. those questions and, then, and to structure it as a narrative as a way for us to be able to even understand our own lives. I mean, yeah. I think so much, yeah. you know... Um, when I think about the impact Young Storytellers has had on me, I have the benefit of like narrative hindsight, mm-hmm. which is I've lived, I, like I've been able to live 17 years and then I can look back at the breadcrumbs and see the story while often when we're in the moment, we're, we don't understand the significance yet. 100%. So that also, I think, storytelling is essential to how we understand our lives and our purpose and why we're sitting here today. What are the things that happened and the moments that happened Mm -hmm. that made this moment possible? Mm -hmm. I think all of that is essential for our understanding of the world. Okay, so to... Pivot a little bit. I want to. Act, I got one more thing about that. Okay, great. Go. So Joseph Campbell was was asked a question. This is the uh, 
yeah. world famous, you know, myth. He studied all the myths around the world mm -hmm. and recognized the similarities between them. And someone asked him, where do you fall on um, your belief in the afterlife and God? And, and he, I, I'm going to butcher his reply, but it was something to the effect of, I know the myths. So I'm comforted by the stories. Mm -hmm. I don't need faith in a religion. I don't need to, I don't think any one of them is my path. I think understanding all of them has given me the comfort that other people seek in an individual myth, like yeah. the Jesus myth or, you know, whatever religion people um, follow. And I was like, oh, that's really fascinating. He found comfort. Mm -hmm. He found faith. He found his... His, uh, his ease in life about these unanswered questions you're talking about through all of the stories and all of the myths that all of the great religions and cultures throughout all of his research, you know, most of mankind have come to. And he's seen all the similarities. He goes, well, if they all came to the same basic story, then that comforts me because well, there's something innate in us that needs that story. That's right. And that's enough for me because I know all the stories. And it all goes to the connection point. Because then that connects us with every other human being who yeah. has struggled with attempting to answer these unanswerable questions. Yeah. And that's how we are all the same. Mm. Yeah, to be seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Because this is pitch, and since <laughs> we're talking about stories, what is the Social Venture Partners Fast Pitch? That's So that was a program that I went through don't remember how long ago, but eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, mm -hmm. maybe, um, that helps you, that helps executive directors or development directors who are fundraisers for nonprofits develop a pitch um, for funders. Um, or, you know, sometimes they talk, it's like an elevator pitch or like, you know, you're right. in, you know, you walk into the elevator and Bill Gates is there and he thankfully he's going to the top floor. <laughs> so what is, you know, and you're yeah. alone. There's yeah. and no one gets on the elevator between the first floor and the top floor. <laughs> <laughs> the conditions are perfect. What how do you in 3 minutes or less make the case for your organization and the impact that your organization has? So what are some things that you learned in that that you would apply to Hollywood pitching or pitching stories? I'm a firm believer that every pitch should be personal. Mm -hmm. I think you're a person pitching to a person, first and foremost. Um, so you're people first. So I also think that you don't just go into the pitch, learn the person, build the relationship with the person, be in the space with the person. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have work to do and you're there. Each person has an agenda. But you're also just two human beings sharing a space. So my number one thing that I, that I think I've learned is just to invest in the person first. And then you'll hear things. <laughs> you'll learn things about their interests, their values. People are actually surprisingly transparent about what they care about, what they're interested in when you connect with them personally. And then I think that information can actually help you when you're doing the pitch. Um, you'll understand your audience and their motivation a little more. Um, I also think research is really important. Oh, yeah. So I think knowing who you're, you know, speaking to, I think about like, no, like as, so as a nonprofit executive, I'm always thinking like, all right, we're going to this foundation or this corporation. What are their funding priorities? What are their values? What are things I'm going to say that are true about young storytellers? that will meet those needs? How am I an answer to the question that they're attempting to solve, the impact they want to have? Mm -hmm. I think so much of it is also recontextualizing the relationship. Um, you're, you're coming in to be, they want you to be the answer to their problem. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So there's often this thing of like, you know, it's coming from um, uh, like a scarcity mindset of like, oh, well, if all, you know, I, I hope I have something to offer. Well, no, if you walk in and it's like, no, be confident that I am, I'm who yeah. you've been looking for. Yeah, yeah. This story is what you've been looking for. Uh, you know, I know what your goals are and mm -hmm. this is the thing. And to sort of build that connective tissue. Um, and then I would also say the big thing I learned from fast pitch was that, and, I, and I, I'm not quite sure what the correlative is with pitching, although I do think they're there is one with creating, 
which is that it needs to come authentically from you. Like for the nonprofit world, like it can't be about jargon. Mm-hmm. It has to, our pitch has to be about who we are and what we believe and what we care about. It has to be true and real. And I think it's the same thing if you're a writer, like you can't try to game the market. I call it chasing dollars in the nonprofit world. Like, I'm not going to go pitch a healthcare funder for what we do. Mm. Right. Right. Like, I, I'm, and, and I'm not going to try to make what we do sound like something that's appealing to the healthcare partner. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find the place that is the right fit and I'm going to tell the true, authentic story of who we are. And it will work or it won't work. It'll be a fit or it won't be a fit. But I'm not going to change us or who we are or what we do. For it to be a fit and i think it's the same thing with the creative like you know i'm not gonna tr- because this movie did well at the box office or this tv show's a hit i'm not gonna try to write that or do that there's what is the story that's inside you that you have to tell mm-hmm. that you're the only person who can tell because you know you've lived the life that you've lived and you have this perspective and this point of view it it must be told to me that's the place that we should be creating and pitching from I think there's like there's this pie chart of what goes into a pitch, right? And it could like the percentages vary depending on who you're pitching to and and part of it is confidence and part of it is research and and part of it is is what the story is. And it's so interesting to me that you can take a business model pitching elements and apply it to something creative because all of those translate, right? Completely. Mm-hmm. So how do you pitch? What elements go into young storytellers? Do you have the verbal pitch? Do you bring in any video? Do you bring them to like an elementary school? All of the the above and depending on the audience. So I think that it's the, you know, I've got a toolbox filled with tools, Mm -hmm. but I'm only going to use the tools that make sense with Mm -hmm. this particular person, the ones that will resonate with this particular person. So, um, and a lot of that again comes from listening and actually building a, a real relationship. I mean, I joke with my wife all the time that like I, have, I've, I feel like I have no friends as a human being. All of my friendships are in service of young storytellers. I invest as a person mm-hmm. in the relationships that lead to an outcome for this organization that I care so deeply about. Um, and, I, and, and so I think it, it comes with just, you know, you can do some pre-research, but I also think you can learn a lot by just asking questions and um and so that i think works for me um something 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 you said in there struck me i want to before we get too far away from it why what's what's the story inside of you right why are you the only person to tell a story i think this is why you are the executive director of this organization what you shared earlier about your first experience that your boss made you go to to this organization and sit across from this young girl who was basically like as terrified as you were. And then out of that, you had this, what sounded like a pretty life-changing experience watching her come to life and tell this story and finding similarities to your own life in it. So you are almost the embodiment of what you're talking about with how you pitch. You're like, why, why me? Why am I the person? Like, why are you the shepherd of this organization? Because it had a, I mean, it's, You've been doing it since what's 2006 now, so yeah, I I think that's right. But there was a, if I look back, this is the narrative hindsight thing. If I look back, there's like another story before that, which was the story of like, you know, my parents get divorced halfway through my freshman year of high school. I had experienced no art as a human being. Oh wow! I'd never been to an art museum. I'd never seen a dance concert. I'd never seen a play. Like I was not, it was just not part of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. And I ended up when my parents got divorced, my mom and I moved to Delaware, uh, in January of my freshman year of high school, um, uh, into her cousin's house because my mom was putting herself through college. My mom wasn't a college graduate until my parents got, um, divorced. So she was putting herself through college while I was in um, high school and we didn't have enough money to live on our own. We moved in our, our, you know, my cousin's house or my mom's cousin's house and I'm in a completely different environment than I've ever been in in before. And I go to my guidance counselor and at the time I was like a young Republican. I was into like political science. I was, I had like a letter from Ronald Reagan. Like I, (laughs) I was just not at all who I am today. Wow. And, um, the guidance count, I was trying to get into a political science or an economics class. And the guidance counselor was like, sorry, those are only for juniors or seniors. And she was like, the only thing that's open is um, a study hall 
or a theater class. She's like, there's a theater elective. She's like, just take the theater class. It's an easy A. And I was like, all right, I go into this theater class. Again, never seen a play before, don't know what's going on. And the first assignment when I walk in was um, they were working on Vietnam era monologues. <laughs> and I, there was like a pile of scripts and the teacher's like, you know, grab one. So I, I pull out this play called Streamers by David Rabe. I find a monologue and I do it and I just read it. I don't know. And afterwards he's like, will you stick around after class? I was like, yeah, sure. And I go after class and he's like, oh, you're new here, right? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Have you ever done this before? I was like, no, it's the first time I've like ever really, you know, I'm, I'm an only child, so I talk to myself a lot outside, but I've never really <laughs> like read anything like this, you know? And, and he was like, well, do you want to come audition for the school play? Um, and I was like, in, I was terrified because I didn't know what that meant, but I was like, I'll do anything to get out of like my mom's cousin's house. I need somewhere to go. Like I have no friends, like, yes. And um, so I auditioned for the play and I get cast in Richard III. Wow. And then I do like this play Medea. And like yeah, it yeah. so happens that this public school teacher mm-hmm. has independently been like writing grants and stuff at night. And he's built this really amazing theater department within this high school. And like through my working in that theater department, like the Mendelssohn String Quartet comes and performs. The David Parsons Dance Company comes. The Folger Shakespeare Company comes and does stage combat with us. And all of a sudden, like, my life, like, my brain, my soul, like, just explodes open. Because I've never been exposed to any of this before. Like, the possibility of any of this. And I can literally draw everything in my life that's had any meaning. My kids, my wife, young storytellers, Anything that's brought me joy, I can go back to that moment when an adult saw something in me that I had no idea existed for myself. And the power of that, to me, is also something that exists within young storytellers, right? That, that relationship that we go in and we believe this young person has something inside of them that they don't know is there yet, and it's going to be magic. That's powerful shit. And, you know, that's so again, like, so you're, but this, again, I benefit from the hindsight of living the life. I'm 46. I can now look back and understand the touchstones in my life that brought me here. And I do, so I pitch that and I pitch my relationship to the thing. Because again, the first thing I said about this is people pitch to people, people give to people. And I think that's the best, I'm the best way to move somebody unless I'm taking them to a school, right? And sometimes I think we, like, I have to be careful with that. I think the nonprofit, like, sector has to be careful about not tokenizing our young people. About not putting them on display, about not using them as case studies. Mm -hmm. So I really do often defer to myself in in the pitches. I try not to tell someone else's story. I try to tell my story and why it's impactful um, to avoid those things. What's great about what you just did, and I hope the listeners were paying attention, is Angel and I were both very captivated. You started with a personal story of yours, how it led, how you transitioned as a character from this person who had a Ronald Reagan letter into somebody who was full-blown into theater and arts, and how that then translated into where you are now. Like, the steps of that... I was completely engaged. Like, if you're pitching me young storytellers, I'm in right now. Yeah. Because that's that was... just your personal story. That's just, you know, it's yeah. your journey along the path and how you changed. I had a friend ask me yesterday, you know, what are all what are all the screenwriting books that you've read? What do they all say? What do they all have in common? I'm like, oh, you know, stories, this story, that story is about change. Mm-hmm. And she goes, yeah, but sometimes like story's not about change. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. But change is like an element, whether it's going to happen or not, mm-hmm. right? But in... Mm-hmm. The majority of stories that I consume change is a huge element. And then your story, your personal story had like several pivotal moments of change in there. Well, I feel that way. I mean, both stories, if I'm going to if I'm going to intellectualize them are Mm -hmm. about transformation. Yeah. And that is also what I think an outcome of Young Storytellers is for the young people we serve and also for the volunteers that participate. So that's the connective tissue for me are like what has happened in my life that has led to transformation Mm. and how can I tell that story in a way that lands with the transformation that a young person experiences when they've gone through our program. Yeah. 
And that's so true. Like all of the kids that I've had the pleasure of mentoring have started out kind of shy. And then they just, they become themselves after the second or third week. It's a powerful gift to give a young person. It's really, because we're not, the, the dirty secret is the mentors aren't doing anything, right? We just create space. We're creating space and we're supporting and we're cheerleaders and we're genuinely there to build this young person up. Mm -hmm. But all the magic and beauty and genius is within them. Um, You know, we we're not there teaching them. If anything, like we learn more from them than they probably learn from us. Um, It's. But it really is about just creating space. And I I think, again, I think 2023, what's more important than space, than presence, than Mm -hmm. focus, than someone saying, like, this space is for you. I'm here just to support what you need in this space. Like, we've gone through this incredibly traumatic uh, upending of our world. Something that was unimaginable literally happened to everyone collectively. Some people suffered more than others, but everyone collectively had Mm -hmm. the experience of a core tenet of our existence that we can just leave our house every day and have autonomy and do this was threatened by a virus, right? Yeah. It's like a movie. Um, But we lived it. And now as we come out of it, I mean, I think that there's a mental health crisis. There is especially a youth mental health crisis. But so much of that is that we need to go back to those elemental things of creating space where we feel as if we belong. We have empathy for one another. We feel connected. Mm-hmm. We don't feel alone. We don't yeah. feel isolated. That's the salve for the years of yeah. isolation that we felt. Yeah. I kind of wish that there was more mentor-mentee relationships, mm. like for me. Sure. Right? Yeah, like it, why Why stop with just children? Why like stop? Children clearly are the ones who probably stand to benefit the most, but when it stops there and then you're an adult, mm-hmm. but you still would like some guidance. Yeah, maybe I need to climb a mountain in Nepal or something and go find a mentor. <laughs> for what? <laughs> for sitting on a mountain though? For sitting on a, yeah, for, for peace, for, for peace. clarity. Yeah. Peace and clarity. Yeah. I, I feel like sitting on a mountain just I'll engenders that in a person it would. anyway. <laughs> yeah, you don't need a mentor once you're up there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's getting there is the thing. Yeah. I, what's interesting, what that makes me think of though mm. is like maybe the way to feed that need for yourself is to find someone to mentor yeah to turn it the other way because i think you can find the same things i I think about that often like even if i haven't had necessarily like concrete mentor relationships Mm -hmm. in my life i can point to people who have you know given me that hand up had the meeting with me to explain how something works, the people that went before yes. us. Mm-hmm. And so I find now, it, you know, now that I'm 46 and I feel old and irrelevant, that I, I, I temper that by talking often to younger people that I encounter, interns, alumni with the program, yeah. you know, the, the folks that come in right out of college and work for young storytellers, you know, being able to provide that same, you know, um, roadmap of like what could be possible for them um from the perspective of you know the 20 years of you know i remember we were all you know in our 20s at some point and what that means i I don't know i've gotten a lot out of that yeah um and you're you're pretty good leah about mentoring and giving back and constantly reaching out to people to help them that's like something you have actively done for years both on twitter contests oh, yeah. you, you know with with young, young storytellers, storytellers the pay up hollywood thing you know yeah exactly yeah so you have a robust history of it i well i hope that's what this podcast is doing mm. like giving people who don't necessarily know where the door is or how to open the door into hollywood quote unquote yeah. this is part of that mentor system yeah. Yeah, because if you're finding people to help along the path, that is rewarding. But then also there are answers that you would still need like we still need answers, right? So Right. We're building a community and we're building a platform to 
engage with people like yourself, Bill, yeah. and, and, you know, get some insight, even though we don't have like acute, like I sit down with this person every week and they give mm -hmm. me advice mm -hmm. and feedback, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you find ways to get the information and the guidance that you need, whether it's by helping other people or by building a community or by like, you know, making friends who have like similar interests, but have different experiences. Yeah, it's one of those things where the question is, how do you make the world better? But that's too broad of a thing. Mm. Like, I don't know if I have enough power to make the world better. Like what percentage mm -hmm. of the world do I need to make better? But if you take it into a more granular, like Ken Burns style, the way that you do that is you make the world around you better. That's right. Mm. Yeah, that's right. It's all we can control or our relationships our friendships are with everyone that we encounter i mean what else could what else could you actually yeah. do i think this is what's been so difficult about you know a time where we're questioning every system right all yeah. of the sy systemic issues that exist and then the powerlessness that when you are complicit in those systems you're a part of those yes. systems what's left if you completely dismantle those systems those are really hard exhausting um questions to answer and I've found, I have found comfort in, we talk about this a lot at Young Storytellers, like we can't fix everything out there, mm -hmm. but we can do it right here. Yeah. Our culture can be the culture we want. We can actually live our values. We can do what we say we're doing here. Yeah. And know that that may not be true in other places in the world, but we can control what we can control. Yeah. It's also one of those things where I don't like it when somebody is like, yeah, I'll keep my ears open because that's such a passive thing mm -hmm. to do. But it takes a very special person who is in the know to instead of say, I will keep my ears open to I will actively ask someone. Mm. But not a lot mm -hmm. of people have that tool in, in their toolbox. Yeah. Um, I think some advice to any writers listening to this would be you're seeking how somebody else can help you. And we're talking about how you can be a mentor to someone else. So how can you help somebody else? Like, we're not a big deal, Angel and I. We have a podcast, though. You could have a podcast. Um, you have friends who want to make a film. Go make a film. Like, there is power in you that is untapped that you do not realize. Well, it goes back to also what you said about solving their problem, right? That's mm. if, you're, if you're pitching someone or, or if you're interacting as a person, they're going to have problems that you might be able to solve or mm -hmm. bring value to their life, right? And... It, it kind of circumvents like I need this thing in my life solved so I'm going to like help someone else solve their thing doesn't technically always directly solve your problem however <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad for this however however there is magic in adding value and solving other people's problems because that is when your problems can also get solved in a in a circuitous way I guess I like right? is yeah. that, is that, does that happen? I, 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 I'm a firm I'm a firm believer in that. I okay, mean I'm great. not I just like, make sure a, I wasn't like I think that's right. I'm not a um, religious person. I don't even know that I'm would be, consider myself a spiritual person, but I do believe <laughs> that and there's probably math behind this or something, but when you are putting things out there, mm -hmm. when when you are coming in to help, to be a helper, mm -hmm. if that's the frame through which you're hearing this, yeah. how can I help? How can I assist? People will meet you in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, people will come to you in the same way. You'll attract that. Yeah, I, I really do believe that. If you're shut off to that, if you're all about you, then you'll just attract other people that are all about them. One hundred percent. Like, so. I think this podcast is an example of that because our, our original like problem was we need to figure out how to pitch our stories better. You know, <laughs> we write stories that we both think are great, but when we talk about them, people's eyes glaze over. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem to solve in a town where you can pitch something and then it can change your life. Right. Yep. So we have set out to include our other filmmakers and anyone who wants to listen in the process of us learning yeah. how to pitch, how to better contextualize and speak about our stories. Yeah. And as a result, I have learned more from sitting down with people like yourself and the other guests we've had and doing research for the podcast and sharing that than I had ever been able to come to on my own conclusions about pitching. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like this This is the change in the world we wanted to see. We're helping other people and then also benefiting from it. I also think there's like creative ways that other people can be beneficial to their peers. Like when I emailed all those casting directors, so I direct things, I emailed a bunch of casting directors hey, I've worked with this actor on multiple projects. They're talented. Their craft is on point. They show up on time. High recommend. 
And I heard back from these casting directors who are like, we've never had a director do this ever. I was like, why not? That's some, some little part of the power that I have that I can use to yeah. lift other people up. Well, it's, it's because you're also coming from a place of, that's a place of abundance. That's a yeah. place of feeling that the world actually has enough for us all. And it's mm-hmm. not the zero-sum game, hunger games that I think <laughs> capitalism puts no, us in the mindset true. of, yeah. of I must hoard uh-huh. and be secretive and keep whatever I can, I gotta get yeah. mine. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And that, and I, and I actually think that all that does is, is actually like it, impoverishes even the people that have it have it impoverishes their soul like it is not (laughs) it isn't it is not the human way of being but the idea of Mm -hmm. saying let me help we're helpers what's that there's that fred rogers quote about anytime something tragic happens look for the helpers yeah Mm -hmm. because that's Mm -hmm. the hope and that's actually who we are i I so firmly believe that and that again it's not transactional you're not all of a sudden gonna have like because you did that someone's not gonna say like oh you should now hire this writer but it's not a it's not about that and if and if it's not about that i do believe though that you will surround yourself and be in a community of people where if you're taking care of each other and you're helping each other the, the, the tide will lift all boats. Yeah. I think that there's a fallacy in this industry that you only have so many favors. Mm. Right? Like yeah. I have talked to multiple people in this industry who are like, no, I, I can't ask that person. Sure. Like, because I can only ask them one thing. That's like a self-perpetuating fallacy. It is. Because the people, they're afraid of asking for more favors if they burn a favor from that person. That person is like, I only have so many favors to give. So I'm, if you burn one of yours with me, I'm not going to give you another favor. Because why their time is so precious right like they're like uh, some of these people are very busy and very important but yeah i like to say no one's out here saving lives no one's no one's actually like performing yeah. triple bypass or, like no one in this industry is actually hands-on mm-hmm. performing surgery to save someone's life acutely like stories are one of the most important things in the world i will stand by that statement i'll fight anybody who disagrees but also at the same time we're not like rescuing people from collapsed buildings yeah, like I, no one's time is so precious <laughs> that they can't give another favor. <laughs> no, that's, that's that's right, and it's also if you believe it, mm-hmm. right? Like you can give that and you can help if like you believe it. Like I I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can just go around and be like I'm going to make a connection for every person I know to every other person I right. know. Sure, yeah, it has to be um, being like, no, this is special. Like I'm yeah. bringing this to you because like. If I were in your shoes, I'd be buying this. This is an unbelievable story. Yeah, this, yeah. It's exactly, it, that's what happened when you reach out to the casting directors. If you were a casting director, you'd be like, I would cast this actor in every single thing I do. Yeah. They're a professional, they're talented, they're amazing. It's, be, it's because you believe it. It's a lot easier to yeah. sell and make connections for the thing that you believe. It can't be a sort yeah. of quid pro quo. It can't no. be transactional. No. It has to be genuine and authentic. And, and then I believe that if what you're doing is genuine and authentic, there is no end to the number of favors people will do for you mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they will trust your judgment. They'll yeah. trust your your taste, right? Um, yeah. They'll know that you're not just, you know, oh, this is a someone that I went to grade school with or someone I'm doing a favor for. Yeah, yeah. You're doing it because you actually want to elevate the idea. You want to elevate this artist, Yeah, I yeah. think. And I like favors that it's not for me. It's... I'm asking for someone else. Those mm. are my favorite favors to ask. So like a selfless favor? Well, yeah. Because I don't know. But what do you get out of that? I get to help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or it's not even a favor. Because again, it's yeah. an answer. Yeah, this yeah. is an answer to something you need. So yeah. I'm actually, the favor I'm doing is to you, not yeah. the person I'm introducing yeah. you to. So for our audience of, of writers or, or agents or whomever, like if somebody wants notes from you, but you, you know that they're writing a thing, offer to give them notes. Don't wait for them to ask. Yeah. You know, because sometimes it's hard for people to ask for things or they don't know how to ask because that's not part of their their toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. Or introduce them to this podcast and tell them <laughs> tell them to get better <laughs> in a sly kind of way. I have a I have a question, please. Um, in addition to having a, a family and running this 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 organization what else do you do what, what are your what are your like oh, hobbies interests outs, outside of this or does that take up all your time because no i have very, i mean i'm so boring um <laughs> i'm an, i'm a i'm a big fan of the new york yankees okay so i listen 
to almost every game. I love radio too, and I love the radio broadcast. So I I listen to almost every baseball game. Okay. Some part during the season, while either I'm in the car or I get home, or and, and it's the beauty of being on the West Coast that I'll never fall asleep during a game unless yeah, they're yeah. on the West Coast because mm. the games are all done by seven, which is great. Um, I read a lot, not as much as I used to read, but reading is a big, you yeah. know, thing for me. So I enjoy reading, and I get the New York Times every Sunday and read the New York Times. There's, those are things that, like, for me, but I'm very dull. I don't have some, like, sophisticated interests or anything. I mean, I have so much of my energy is in my children. I, I think I'm mm-hmm. present for them in a way. It's like the greatest privilege um, of my life is to have the flexibility to be at Little League with them and to spend yes. time with them. And to, I mean, I read out loud to my children every day I love for that. A, a long period of time. And ever since they were babies, like that's a big thing for me. Like I read to my children and they're um, also like voracious readers on their own. So that's a big story. And that's all stories, right? Yeah. It's all, so that's, yeah. Very and to share stories with them that you know I read or I had read to me when I was little and mm-hmm. um, that's Im- important and but I mean it really is it's young storytellers and and my family take up you know with the little Yankees on the side. I don't know about you, Leah, Leah but interest. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's boring. I wouldn't either. It sounds I love like kids. You, you have and reading lovely valuable things in your life and you like what you like and that's that's I, I'm very content with yeah. like that's that's you know yeah. I I feel like those are the things that I want. Yeah. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to have them. You, yeah. What a gift. You're um you're in South Pass, right? Mm. Yes. So I go there all the time for like everything that I do in my life, uh, even though I live in downtown. She's constantly in South Pass. I'm like, where are you? She's like, I'm in Pasadena. I'm coming back from Pasadena. <laughs> yeah, everything I, is in I Pasadena am. for her. But one of uh, something fun that I've done with my niece who is in Ohio is I I took her bouldering, and so they have a rock climbing gym in South Pasadena now on Fair Oaks and Hammond, you know, oh. across from where the um, fire department is. Yeah. Yeah, touchstone climbing. It is a blast to take a kid there. Oh, that's a First good of idea. all, they're instinctually good at it because they have yes. like no body weight. Well, yeah, I have an eight-year-old who's like in the third percentile for height and weight, there and you go. he is so quick and agile and yeah. climbs on everything there you, still. And there you go. Um, he would he would love that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, definitely check it out. They have shoes to rent there. I'll um, just watch from the bottom. You can just watch from the bottom. <laughs> good move, smart. Yes. Otherwise, it's you know you'll have to do an addendum to this podcast, <laughs> like a, a tragic update about what happened when I when when I bill. fell off of the. Perlia's suggestion: He fell. We'll do a bonus episode. <laughs> Fractured three vertebrae. Injuries. He's on now in traction, and the only thing he can do is podcast. So, <laughs> traction podcast. There you go. Um, so, where may our listeners sign up to volunteer and learn more about young storytellers? Uh, Youngstorytellers.com, mm-hmm. and then there's very prominent buttons that say volunteer and donate. Um, and yeah. yes, we have programs in more than 40 schools here across Los Angeles and I mean you'll you'll leave the process a better person yeah um, are you international yet well we have a sister program in Brazil wow in Portuguese because we had a very talented volunteer who was here on a Fulbright scholarship from Brazil at AFI mm-hmm and before his Fulbright ran out, we had coffee together and he was like, I need, I want to bring something of social impact back to Brazil. And he asked if he could run a pilot of young storytellers with a youth mentoring organization he had been in when he was in high school. Wow. And I said, great. I said, maybe don't call it young storytellers, call it something else, but you can totally take the bones of what we're doing and adapt it for the needs of the community. And it's now in three cities in Brazil running with this NGO. And they do all this other exciting things there that, you know, we hadn't thought of here. Like they have volunteers pretend to be like secret service for the kids as they're walking down the red carpet. And they do all of this paparazzi stuff, stuff. We've even taken some ideas from them over the years. Um, So it's been a really beautiful thing. And I think, again, this goes back to our our toolkit Mm -hmm. model. I mean, our hope is to build a a national and international community of young storytellers, program providers, where we'll just be a seat at the table and we can learn yeah. how all of these other communities 
across the globe, we're able to adapt our tool to meet their needs. And then we can integrate some of that here in Los Angeles too, and just sort of have that feedback I love that. with one another in that dialogue. So, so yeah, do but you more to come, I hope. Do you remember the name of that program in Brazil? Um, well, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to say it in Portuguese because I'll get it wrong, <laughs> okay. but um, the name of it in English is Telling Dreams. Nice. Telling Dreams. Okay, so the Portuguese Which, translation. We'll figure that. We'll put it in the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Now, I, I got one last thing. You've been doing this long enough to have seen, I'm assuming, some of your original mentees become adults. Mm-hmm. Uh what's the did you stay in touch with any of them what's the like feedback well, you know yeah i mean i think like there with some of them sure i mean which i was sharing with you earlier before we started you know i had lunch yesterday with one of our alums who mm-hmm. you know is now actually a writer here in los angeles went to um graduate school for playwriting and you know just a very accomplished young um artist um i think you know it's interesting i think nonprofits have a really bad habit of like trying to take credit for what people accomplish after they've encountered their programs. So, you know, I'll start by saying that she and many of our alumni, all of our alumni are just beautifully talented people who Mm -hmm. accomplish all of these things on their own. Um, I think if you asked her, she would just say that she had one of those sort of like exposure moments with us an epiphany moment of like oh i can write something and a room can react and that sparked something in her that then led her to look for more of that and so then she went to other organizations as well that you know like the young playwrights festival and center theater group has like the august wilson monologue competition she ended up at laxa the la county high school for the arts so she started to then after that spark was lit like look where some she was hungry where are more resources how can where are other other areas that i can develop myself and and now you know she she is this very talented person i think that on some level that's what we can hope for is giving young people um that spark and it may not be the writer spark it may just be and for many of our students this is what it is i'm important enough i have something meaningful enough to say and adults will take that seriously um i have value Mm -hmm. i have a voice that on just a fundamental level you need that to accomplish anything is that belief in yourself Mm -hmm. um so it's 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 hard when i get that question because it's very easy to go right to the writer but most of the kids aren't, they don't go grow up to be writers. What we hope is they're growing up to be people that understand that, you know, they have agency and power through telling their story and being themselves. Yeah. What a gift. Truly. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been the greatest, you know, next to my children, the greatest gift in my life. So, so go volunteer if you have the time. Or also, sometimes you do one-off um, because of your breakout rooms. You need somebody to sit in. Right. Um, well, we have these workshops called Day of Story workshops, so mm-hmm. we do have um, those opportunities. But most of our volunteer opportunities are longer term, yeah. usually nine weeks, ten weeks, um, just because there is so much data that shows that an extended intervention is more impactful. There's a greater depth of impact mm. than coming in just for one session. Yeah, because like- if if you go back to my story, mm-hmm. if I had just gone once. Mm-hmm. I would have never built the relationship that I was able to build with Jackie where she felt safe enough to create the thing, the story, to tell the story that was inside of her. Right. That came from trust and trust comes from time. Mm -hmm. And you can't, there's not really a shortcut to that. It's like the Waldorf uh, model for education. Yeah. The longer you're with the students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The boss who initially told you to go over there, (laughs) did you you thank him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, what's amazing is like, so then I did that and then, you know, he actually helped me get the job because I ended up quitting oh. working for him and and I thought I was just going to be quitting my job, but I said, you know, do you think I could like go help produce young storytellers rather than this TV show? And he could have thrown me out of my ear, especially in 2006 because that's how the industry worked then. Yeah. Um, but instead he picked up the phone and called the woman who was running it and a week later I was working there. That's great. And that um, that was also a gift um, to that, you know, that he 
when I came to him with a genuine expression of, of a direction I wanted to go, um, that he didn't take that as like an insult to his business or an affront to his ego, mm -hmm. that he heard me and met me in that place and, yeah. and helped. Yeah. yeah. So it was a I think that's, big moment. That's important for um, anybody who wants to volunteer to know is like I was working at a social justice documentary place a couple blocks away from uh, the school where I volunteered and I asked my boss, can I just take my lunch breaks every Friday and go do that? So I think that you'll find a welcoming ear for whoever you have to ask to take the time for that hour. Yeah, I think that's... I, I don't think that should prevent anybody. And if your boss says no, like maybe that's not, maybe the, right not the right job. not the job. No, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Especially in 2023. Yeah. yeah. The things that we've learned about ourselves and mm -hmm. what worth is. Yeah. And what, where our time is better spent. That's right. Yeah, it's been lovely. It's a real treat. I'm, I'm tickled every time we have someone like yourself come in and yeah. sit and share their story with me. I'm just like, this is this is the coolest thing we're doing right here. As as much as I like want to write my stories and tell my stories, this has been such a worthwhile endeavor for me, because I get to you know connect with people like yourself and hear their stories, and it expands my um, understanding about storytelling in this world. It really does. So, so thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having yes, me. Thank and, you, uh, Bill. Thanks appreciate for letting it. me talk about my favorite subject. Yeah, you're which welcome. Is young storytellers. Yeah, you're good at it. it. You're good at it. So. Thank you very much. So, cheers from Hollywood. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Cheers from Hollywood. We'd like to extend a special thank you to Bill Thompson from Young Storytellers. Thanks for coming on. And make sure to check out Young Storytellers online to find out how you can volunteer at www.youngstorytellers.com. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers, raising voices one story at a time. <laughs>